Yeah, man. Dude, this is great. Yeah, we got another guest got another on. Guest. We're going to have some fun. Popularity. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. I mean, what else could you want? Sports or... More sports. More sports or more <laughs> sports. And we're back at the Sports Experience Podcast. I am Chris Quinn, one of your hosts with my man right here, Dom Datola. We got a guest tonight. And I'm going to do a quick promo. If you're here in Tucson, please come to the screening room every single Wednesday for my open mic or every single other Saturday, which sounds weird now, <laughs> uh, for my book show. Uh, and right over here to Dom Datola. Yeah, so uh, very special guest here today, um, Roy Lee Reynolds. Hey, what's up? Yeah, and uh, him and I are uh, recording our second album, uh, Tucson Bullies. Um, it'll be volume two. We're recording over at Tucson Improv Movement there on 4th Ave and 9th here in Tucson, November 19th at 9 p.m., um, please go out and get your tickets. Um, you can see all of the stuff on our uh, Instagram and social media. And uh, anything else you want to add, Roy? Yeah, um, just for the sports experience fans, if you buy your ticket and you use the promo code VOL2, number two, lowercase, no spaces, you get five bucks off your ticket. So, yeah, good just deal. the sports fans, uh, you know, right here. Also, uh, go check out Tucson Bullies Volume 1, which is their first CD. Which was uh, recorded here at Angle Studio by uh, our producer, or uh, produced here at Angle Studio by our producer, uh, Ty Angle. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And without any uh, other further promos, man, let's get into this episode. Let's get into we're, it. we're ready. We're talking uh, Kyle Turley. Kyle Turley. Which he didn't have like a super outstanding. He was a great offensive lineman. But man, there's so much stuff that he did post-career that oh, we're yeah. just like, oh, we got to do an episode on this guy. Yeah. Dom, how long have you and I been talking about doing a Turley episode? Basically since it started. Yeah, about I think. a year. And we are fans this of his, like, before we met for, like, completely different reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, and then meet in the middle and I figure out about what he did post-career and it's like, oh my God, this guy is awesome. How can we not do an episode on him? Yeah. So, uh, you want to get into it, Chris? Yeah, man. Let's All get right, right let's into it. it. Born in uh, Provo, Utah, right? Yeah, that's uh, super Mormon country. And that's September <laughs> 24th, 1975. That was probably the biggest thing that I was like, whoa, this guy grew up Mormon his whole life. And then his life just kind of keeps changing, if I that makes sense. I read you know. an article where apparently some of his uh, ancestors were bodyguards for uh, Joseph Smith. Oh. Which uh, kind of leads to his NFL career where he's uh, guarding some also very important people. Yeah. But uh, grew up uh, in Provo and Washington State, but really spent most of his uh, childhood and adolescence in Southern California. Um, kind of in the Inland Empire area. Well, I, I uh, read that his dad tried to be a farmer and it didn't necessarily work out. So at like 10 or 11, they moved to California and he became a full-time trucker. Yeah. And he pretty much said his family kind of broke from there. Like his parents got divorced. Nobody was ever around. So it was pretty much just like him growing up. And then I thought it was interesting, Roy, you even brought up how he got into football in high school. Yeah, it, it was the McConaughey, Dazed and Confused. Not McConaughey, the other guy in Dazed and Confused. Jeremy London, one of the London brothers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, it was essentially like after junior year in high school, he's kind of uh, do, just doing regular teenager stuff that we all did. You know, and love skateboarding, love music. Yeah, surfing, yeah. you know. All-state wrestler and played baseball, too. So yeah. it's not like he wasn't athletic at all. Yeah, yeah. but coach is like, hey, kid, uh you know, your you know, your life is going this way. Why don't you come play football and we can it can go this way and 
Coach was right. I was going to say that. <laughs> Coach they, nailed it. <laughs> they give those speeches a lot. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they're right. He was right on that one. He was like, you're 6'4". You're all muscle. Yeah. yeah. Like, let's get you on this. Let's get you on this football field. And that, I mean, because he literally surf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. probably, that's pretty good right there. You're a big dude with unbelievable balance. Yeah. So he literally plays his senior year of high school football and stacks up scholarships. Yeah, Valley View High School there in uh, Morena Valley um, plays defensive end, um, uh, first team all league, just in his first year of playing like organized football, yep. which is very impressive. And you were saying the scholarship started rolling in. So uh, his first recruiting visit was to uh, San Diego State University, go Aztecs. And then uh, I had read a story about one of the other trips he took was to Iowa State. Um, he uh, was describing the trip as, I grew up surfing and skating. And when I stepped off the plane in Iowa, there was three feet of snow and we couldn't uh, see the football field. And that wasn't for me. I was a <laughs> California kid. And he basically describes why going to SDSU was like the perfect fit for him. Oh, I'm sure. And because yeah, yeah. And he, he had the luxury um, of redshirting his first year. He redshirted his first year in 1993, which a lot of it did a lot of good for him and it does a lot of good for guys on the offensive and defensive lines because when you weigh only 245 pounds a they have to figure out where to play you and b you have to gain some weight you have to hit the weight room and go to the training table and like bulk up and not just gain fat weight like me or you <laughs> used to be but gain like muscle which is like legitimately hard and they gain like 30 pounds of muscle in that first year which i always am impressed and you're right because they need to be like 275 <laughs> so like and the cool thing was is his um redshirt freshman year um at sdsu um he played both offensive and defensive line on the scout team i didn't and, know that yeah That's and awesome. the coaching staff basically told them like Look, you're going to play both. You're on scout team in you're you know, you're not going to play on Saturdays cuz you're redshirted, but you get to choose where you want to play after the season, entering um your uh, actual freshman season where you're playing. Oh, awesome. So, he decided on offensive line for one very important reason. At the time, San Diego State had Ed White, who was a pro bowler for the Vikings and the Chargers as their offensive line coach. He was a pro bowl offensive lineman. And so when he kind of figured this out, he's like, this is really where I'm going to improve. Like I'm taking everything I can. And he still talks very highly about Ed White today. Like this is a great move for my career and just, you know, me as a football player. And dear God, did it work for him and those Aztec teams? I was going to say that was definitely the correct choice. So let's go. Let's go through his uh, things real quick. He wasn't playing football. <laughs> okay, and the coach walks up to him with those super short shorts. And he's just like, look, your life's going to go one way or another. And he's <laughs> like, all right, I'll go this way. And now he's after literally two years, yeah. one playing, one redshirting. He's under a really great coach and he's showing that he's going to be a great O-lineman. And the next, um, so I want to talk kind of about this era of SDSU football. You've just moved past 93 his freshman year. That was Marshall Falk and Darnay Scott's last season oh, okay. at, um, at the university. But they still have a lot of NFL caliber talent on that roster. So they have like Will Blackwell and Oz Hakeem, uh, who was on the greatest show on turf. George Jones running the ball had a couple of really good years. Not the country star, Roy. Oh. Nah, he got but, excited. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so his... Sophomore and junior seasons, they win eight games, but since they're in the old whack, they don't make a bowl game. But they're still a really highly competitive team. And over the next four years, he starts 41 of the next 45 games, which is pretty damn incredible for a guy who's 
not even in year five of his football playing career. And for an O-lineman, like mm-hmm. that, that's who takes the most abuse in football is yep. the, the O-line. Yeah. And he's grown at this point. He not only grew another inch to 6'5", he's also about 305, 310, and just kicking ass along with uh, Ephraim Salam, who also had an extended NFL career. So, I mean, this is these are pretty good teams. They're just, you know, playing in the whack. But you can tell from his film what a nasty motherfucker he is and how good he's going to be and how, like, raw, athletically talented he is. Yep. Um, finished his career... Um, two-time first-team All-Whack, and by his senior year in 97, after he had a game against Colorado State, his final college game, coming to the aid of a teammate after a play, kicking some dude's ass and getting ejected, (laughs) finalist for the Outland and Lombardi trophies, and also a consensus first-team All-American in 1997. So he is definitely one of the best O-linemen coming out of college, which nobody kind of saw. Like yeah, they, they thought he might be good and they thought he might be a good college player, but his progression is kind of crazy. See, that's what SDSU does, especially now a lot, is um, they go for these guys who are like zero to three star recruits and they're like, let's just develop them. They have a huge ceiling. Yeah, they yeah. have a huge ceiling, but nobody's really kind of, you know, they're lightly recruited. California is a big state. You don't have to really go any further. But if we have the right people in place to develop them, like in Ed White at the time, good things can happen. And this is what happened to Kyle Turley through his own hard work and dedication. It was awesome. And kind of heading into the 98 draft, I wanted to tell this story. He, um, you know, they're thinking he's going to be a first round pick because he's obviously really good. Mm -hmm. He goes to the combine in Indianapolis and at his size, 6'5", 3'10", he runs a sub 540 yard dash. Yeah, it was like 4.93. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Dom, Dom, what was your best 40? I couldn't even tell. But like maybe like a five three five four might have been my best. <laughs> I was going to at one hundred and twenty something pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah one twenty. And he was three times that. Yeah, yeah. you know it's crazy. Yeah. Three times my size and a second faster. People that large yeah. shouldn't be that fast, but he yeah. was. And I think and they were putting him through like all the agility drills, like the three cone and everything like that at the combine. Yeah, he's like, Psh, I'm and a you surfer. can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a exactly. skateboarder yeah. and a surfer, and I think that. And, and his body wasn't his body wasn't beat up at the time. I mm-hmm. feel like so. exactly. Yeah, yeah, he was still relatively healthy, a little wear and tear. And uh, he catches the eye at the combine of the coach with the seventh overall, whose team had the seventh overall pick in the first round of the '98 draft. And with the a, name of the hurricane was Hurricane Ditka, with a mustache <laughs> that uh, Dom envies. <laughs> Well, he saw him. This was the thing. Everybody knew he was going to be a top O lineman, but they saw him do that sub 540, and they were just like, yeah, he's a top 10 pick. He which, shot up draft board. I yep. remember wa- I had rewatched it, um, the 98 draft, when we did our Fanica episode. Someone oh, uploaded yeah. it to YouTube. And when he got picked by New Orleans, it's Chris Berman just going gaga over video of him surfing. Like a 300-pound man surfing? That's like the coolest thing ever. Well, popping up must be so rough. Oh, my God, right? (laughs) But uh, anyway, he goes to New Orleans, and he starts out. The team is dog shit at this point. The Aints. Yeah, the Aints, Roy. uh, Yeah. Were you a big Aints fan at that Uh, time? Not really. I was, at the time, a big 49er fan because my dad was a Cowboy fan. (laughs) So I got a root for the team that rivals them. And go. I like Jerry Rice. So I was a Cowboy fan, but all the old men I grew up around were all Aints fans. 
And uh, that's why I'm wearing my crowbar shirt with the Florida Lee on it right now. There you go, crowbar. But, uh, but yeah, that's really what it was. And it was just like the Aints and the joke. Hey, you're saying it's going to win? No, they're not going to win tonight, <laughs> but I'm watching anyway. You know. So you were living in Louisiana at this yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. So basically, um, they're not any good. They draft Hurley, and they're still not very good, but he is very good yeah. for them. His first season, he starts 15 games for them. He's all rookie by Pro Football Weekly, Pro Football News, and Football Digest, and he's playing left guard now mm-hmm. on their offensive line because uh, William Rofe, who's in the Hall of Fame, was the Saints' left tackle at that juncture. So he's doing great. The following season, they are even worse and even worse off because Ditka pulls the Ricky Williams trade. Oh, yeah. Mm. And sends all of those draft picks to the Redskins or whatever the fuck they call themselves now. Um, yeah, please. To, yeah, they should have built a dynasty out of it. But of course, it's that franchise with Dan Snyder. But he switches positions in 99. Yeah, he goes to right tackle, right? He or goes, right guard? He goes to right tackle. Okay. And he starts all 16 games. And uh, that's crazy just in itself. Yeah. He switches positions and starts all 16 games. Well, he was but, such a versatile lineman. Like, yep. I remember our Fanica episode where we talked about how he could do everything well. Yep. He was just athletic enough to play basically anywhere along the line, although he never took snaps at center. But you could put him in either guard spot or either tackle spot, and he was a badass. Yeah. A complete and total badass. And completely reliable. That's the yeah. thing where you can see he's playing like 15, 16 games a season where you're just like, all right, we don't have to worry about this guy whatsoever. He's he's not uh, you know on the IR or injured yeah. at all. I mean, he's and getting we'll, injured. Well, but this will. Yeah, yep. we'll get into this later. But he's reliable and he's a nasty motherfucker. Like, oh, yeah. He is just a mean dude out on that field. He took a lot of flack from defensive players. It's why he should have made more Pro Bowls, but didn't. He was some considered him dirty. No, this dude played to the whistle and would eat your goddamn lunch. Well, I wanted to ask you about this because football is one of my least known you know, mm-hmm. subjects, but they were talking about him doing cut blocks. Yeah. And he said, look, I'm doing it because they're legal. I'm At not that trying time, to, those were legal. Yes. Like it was within the bounds of the rules. It's, is it kind of a shitty thing to do? That's like crack back blocking. Yeah. Yes, but it's not illegal. He's playing within the bounds of the rules. There was a great story in sports illustrated. Neil Smith was playing for the chargers. He was a pro bowl defensive end and Turley was just kicking his ass. Just absolutely kicking his ass the whole game. And Neil Smith was yelling at him, I'm going to kill you. I am going to kill you. And Turley just stayed silent like the whole game until the very end he came up to Neil Smith after just absolutely handing him his ass the whole game and said, my name's Kyle Turley. I live at this location in New Orleans, Louisiana. <laughs> Bring it on, motherfucker. Oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> and Neil Smith was a great player. Like, he was yeah. a fearsome defensive end. And Kyle Turley's oh, like, Jesus. I want none of that. <laughs> like, I want none of that shit talk. But 2000 was actually, the following season was probably his best year. He was named an All-Pro. Yep. He's playing, um, uh, I believe, yeah, right tackle still for the Saints. And this is the year where they have Jeff Blake, who we talked about in our East Carolina episode, playing most of the year. But also they have, um, what's his name, Uh, Aaron Brooks come in after Blake gets injured. And not only do they have a winning record, they host a playoff game against the greatest show on turf, and they win their first playoff game in franchise history. I think their first year was 1967. In their 34th season, they won one. And this was a year that Ricky Williams kicked ass because um, I believe he got um, hurt towards the end of the season. But the things are coming together, even though they're depleted from the draft picks of that trade. 
and Turley is the offensive line's beast. Can could we have predicted just the sheer amount of marijuana that was smoked, not during that season, but <laughs> post that season by yeah. those Saints. Oh yeah, Ricky yeah. Williams. Yeah, it, it's. I'm just saying, it's pounds upon pounds yeah. upon pounds. You you think about like the post career of of Turley and Ricky Williams, and you're like, yeah, it makes sense. Those two stayed friends. Those guys should. <laughs> those guys should be like but, serious yeah, business time, partners. Yeah. Turley is not involved with no 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 cannabis he's, so he's involved with painkillers which i mean if you're thinking like whoa that's crazy every single every nfl football player was. And he, yeah he has talked very candidly about this where they hand that shit out like candy yeah that's, they were that was his quote there's a yeah. great story he was talking about how they were giving him vioxx which was eventually taken off the market he said i had to give my dog ipecac because he got into my vioxx yeah like and and he he was like it didn't matter. You had to have that mentality. I have to play every mm -hmm. single game. And it was wearing and tearing on his body. But you see him starting 16 games a year, just kicking everyone's ass. Well, the thing that he said that gets into football players' heads because they're hurt constantly and they give them like a, literally a handful of pills and they say, this is going to make you feel better. And they're like, thank God. And he's like, and it doesn't make us feel better. It actually makes us feel worse drives you yeah. into a mania <laughs> yeah yeah you get strong out on it like you would in any other drug and uh and and the downside is if they don't do this there's a guy five years younger than them that wants their job exactly you know so and he'll do it yeah and, and if you it's watch brutal. that movie any given sunday and they're shooting up randy quaid's character with uh you I know. wish Randy Quaid was in that movie. Could yeah. you imagine him no, as quarterback? Dennis Quaid. It's the no, I oh, have a no. game I like to play yeah. where you get stoned, watch a Dennis Quaid movie, and yeah. wonder how much better it would be if it starred Randy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the Quaid and they're shooting his knee <laughs> one up of the Quaids. With, with drugs and giving him these pills and all this shit. And then uh Jamie Foxx comes in and still takes his job and you're like, Well, yeah, that's why they had to do that. And marijuana at the time was like illegal, illegal. You know, they were still doing the Ronald Reagan. Disposable just say no heroes, bullshit. man. That's what it was. So, you know, he's doing what he's got to do just to keep his job. And, uh, you know, and then later in life kind of learned more about, you know, we'll get it. We'll roll yeah. into that later. But well, yeah, I but wanna, that's kind of the setup for this. I want to yeah. set this up even a little bit because he was talking about being like one of the captains in like college and all that shit. And he remembers guys getting busted for weed, them taking their scholarship away and him being like, this guy is so fucking selfish. Yeah. And now we see like him being struggling with pills right here, especially at the end of his saints career, because I'm pretty sure this is where he hurts his back. Right. Um, or is it at the Rams where it's he hurts? It's the Rams. Okay. I wanted to finish up a Saints career. Yeah, got okay. a couple awesome things. The 2001 season, um, 16 games started at right tackle. He's a substitute at the Pro Bowl, but this is such a Kyle Turley oh, yes, thing I this read is about. Awesome. He is chosen to be the Grand Marshal at Mardi Gras at a specific, uh, the Endymion Parade, Endymion Parade. He does that instead of going to Hawaii, which is like fucking awesome. Yeah. The, like, uh, the Saints fans loved him. Oh, I'll the say Saints fans. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. And it's this season where a specific incident yep. takes place, which is probably the most famous moment of his NFL career, infamous, however you want to put it. Uh, November 4th, 2001, they are playing the New York Jets. They are down 16 to 9, 
towards the end of the game and Aaron Brooks with a broken pocket ends up scrambling about maybe five to 10 yards down to the Jets five yard line. During the course of the play, uh, David uh, Damian Robinson or Damon Robinson, I believe of the Jets grabs Brooks's face mask. And when he grabs it, this is in the time, even when you had the five yard face mask in 15, Mm-hmm. They should have given a 30-yard face mask because it looked like he broke his neck. It was one of the end. worst ones yeah. I've ever seen. And like when Turley Heard sees this because, you know, he's his offensive lineman, he doesn't take too kindly. And a brawl ensues after Brooks is down because he thinks, oh, my God, he broke my quarterback's fucking neck. I wouldn't even call it a brawl. He almost like rips his head off. He rips Robinson's helmet right off his head. But he was like slamming him yeah, on the ground. He was like yeah. beating him mercilessly. And there were like guys trying to stop him and like refs trying to jump in. And everyone is just like, he's going to do animal. what he's going to do. And he takes his helmet off kind of jogs about a couple of yards and then throws Robinson's helmet. And he took some flack at first for this because what ended up happening is he's called for a penalty, knocks the Saints back, they don't score, they lose the game. Yep. The coaching staff was pissed until they actually saw the replay of Brooks and they were like, oh no, I mean, should you have done that? Probably not, but I get why you did it. He's fined $25,000 for the... uh, uh, play and what he did, but the Saints fans love him even more. Mm-hmm. They start a Turley for Mayor campaign. They start trying to raise funds to pay <laughs> off his fine for him. Like you can tell you're popular when you pull something like that, and people are yeah. like, "Good on you, bud." Well, yeah, yeah. Well, he's directly responsible for the best Saints team ever at that point. At that yeah. point, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is pre-Drew Bledsoe era. Breeze? You know, yeah, yeah, Breeze, <laughs> Bledsoe, Breeze, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Drew Breeze and the post-Katrina Saints, but this is the best the Aints have ever been, you know, cats are going to games and not wearing bags over their faces and <laughs> you know, and shit like that. So yeah, he was a big deal. And, and for a lineman to be a big deal, that's well, Name, name your favorite and, five linemen. Yeah, exactly. You can't. But you know what? <laughs> At this point, and we'll get into it later, he's yeah. ingratiated himself in the New yeah. Orleans community, particularly the music scene. Yeah. Yes. Becoming friends with a certain Phil Anselmo. And yeah, uh, and yeah the guys in Crowbar and I Hate God, Hank Williams Third. Yeah. Um, he would say in in like off season and stuff, some of the guys on the team would go do like golf charity fundraisers and stuff for, you know, fire department and cancer and, you know, this kind of thing. And he said, I don't, I don't want to play golf. <laughs> so he would put a little band together and do fundraisers like that. And he's like, yeah, we'll just go play music. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. And, and that, that's how he would kind of do his some community service. He goes, that's my way of doing it. I'm not going to play golf. You know? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, 2002, the following season, the Saints barely missed the playoffs. But he's playing a new position. He's playing left tackle now. Oh, okay. Starts all 16 games. Starts, And the team is really good. I think Brooks made the Pro Bowl that year. But um, what ends up happening is the Saints front office, because of the salary cap and because of his impending contract, they kind of don't want to pay him. And they kind of have a little bit of a falling out. Well, this is what I wanted to talk about because he said he had a back injury towards the end of the season. He did, yeah. And the Saints were pumping him with the, what's the anti-inflammatory that they shoot into you? Oh, fuck. Not Demerol. No. Um, oh, God, I forget. But the, he was like, mm-hmm. they were jacking me up before games. And towards the end of the season, now looking back, they were like, oh, we're not going to offer this guy money. His back's fucked up. 
And you can see he does not really play a lot of games following this this stent. And this is what he said. He goes, my back wasn't really that bad. And then I played on it for like four games. Yeah, and that's, what the, that's the worst thing about those opiates is you're numb to the pain. Yep. When you should be feeling pain and getting surgeries and things like that. So um, right before the uh, 2003 NFL draft, March 21st, he is traded to the Rams who are in kind of that final last gasp of that greatest show on turf era for a second round pick in uh, 2004 and signs a five-year $26.5 million extension. Um, and this was the last, honestly, up until this era, the last good Rams team. Yeah. And he's playing right tackle now on a line which features Hall of Famer Orlando Pace. You have former Aztec Marshall Falk. You got Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce. Um, Mark Bulger's the quarterback when he was actually like doing well. Um, they end up going 12-4 and four and getting the two-seed in the uh, NFC, but end up losing a double overtime game on uh, divisional round weekend. Oh, the yeah. There's the Steve Smith game. Yep. Yeah. But um, after that, and this is the season also where he has a back injury. They try and convince him it's a hip injury. Oh, yeah, that too. And he's basically fucking his body up. Not you know because he wants to, but because they're pumping him full of you know opiates. They're pumping him full of drugs. And his body really starts breaking down after this season. And it's just tragic because of what could have been. As so, And this is 2003, right? This is the 2003 season. Yeah. Because he takes 2004, 2005 off. Mm-hmm. Because um, this is how bad the injuries were. And they were just like compounding on each other. So it was like, yeah, your back's fucked up, but so is your hip. And it's like, it's so ridiculous. And he starts feeling resentment towards the Rams front office and head coach Mike Martz and the training and everything like that. Um, August 28, 2004, uh, herniated disc surgery, misses the entire season. Then by the summer of 2005, June 6, 2005, he's released by the Rams. Yeah. And he had a huge dust up with Martz. Martz said some shit to him that he really didn't enjoy. And he even in one of his current songs, he says, fuck Mike Martz, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, after the surgery, he drops a ton of yeah. weight. This yeah. is the big thing that that with the argument was about was I think he dropped like 60 pounds, which for an O-lineman is a shit ton. And he was like, well, what are we doing here? Like, are you going to come back and play football? He's back you? to his high school playing. Yeah. Right? And so. it's sad. And the, regarding the March situation, I wrote it down. March allegedly, according to Turley, said, you just came to St. Louis to take the money and run. And then March also publicly said he threatened his life, which by all accounts did not happen. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I can see why that ended very poorly. But he tries to make a comeback. He tries to make a comeback with the Dolphins because of the weight loss as a tight end. But eventually in 2006, he signs with the Chiefs, plays and starts seven games for him, but ends up getting hurt. Various amounts of injuries. Then in 2007, he signed to a one-year contract again, but only starts five of the seven games he plays in. Then hamstring, ankle, and back injuries fuck him over again, and he retires at the end of the 2007 season. So he basically lasts about seven, eight years in the NFL, was an all-pro one year, but it's like, man, what we missed out on. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, it's strange. Like, anybody that can go past four years in the NFL at any position is impressive. Um, and then he went long as he did with the Saints, playing every game, every game. That's the every, thing. And then just injuries and opiates caught up to him and just – 
Man, we're do if we can get three or four games out of him, that'd be rad. You yeah. know, and, he also and, yeah gained a bunch of his weight back at the end, and mm-hmm. they were saying like that final chief season, and he was talking about it. He was just like, as soon as I gained that weight back, my back problems came back mm-hmm. like crazy, and he just couldn't like. I don't think his back could sustain that amount of muscle on his body. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it was just it, yeah, and he even talked about switching positions, like Dom said, to tight end, and then he even tried defensive yeah. line, and they were just like. Yeah, I just don't think his body can hold up, which is, is it happens to so many unbelievably great players. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tragic, but uh, we're going to go into the next episode and talk about his post career and the interesting ride that's been and how he has done a lot of incredible things. Yeah, so come back for part two. Hey, everybody, this is just a stock message at the end of every episode. We hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about. Just want to say, give us a quick follow on all social media. We have a YouTube channel, the Sports Experience Podcast, and we're on Instagram, Totolo Dominic and myself, C. Quinn Comedy. So give us a follow all around. Um, we're always recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much.